podcast. Every week we discuss plays we love, interview theater artists, and share our thoughts on playwriting and theater. We are your hosts, Sarah Cho. And Sam Collier. And we are returning to um, the conversation we began last week. So this is the part two um, episode. And we're, we were just really digging into talking about unpaid internships in the world of theater. Um, Sarah, I know Mm -hmm. you were excited to talk about something that just happened a few weeks ago at a big name institution. Yeah. Um, Things were just getting juicy when we broke off our (laughs) episode last week. So, yeah. Um, Okay. So, apparently on Twitter. So, on June 29th, O'Neill... This is a big one. This is a big place. Sent out a call for their summer internship, uh, apprenticeship programs. And the opportunity immediately got a backlash. Um, where a few weeks later, um, the apprentices and the writer's assistants of summer 2021 season sent an email listing their grievances from their summer and demands moving forward. And I just want to like pull some highlights. I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but it's really worth checking out. Um, so one is to be paid a living wage. Uh, that was a big one because they were being paid $150 a week, which mm. is the, with the current hours, which I guess they were, they average worked 72 hours a week. That comes out to $2 an hour. Um, yeah, because I think if I could just interject here, yeah. I think mm-hmm. it's worth noting that even a paid internship might be extremely underpaid, right? Yeah. Like this is not an unpaid internship or apprenticeship, um, but it's still really low paid. It's so low. So that's maybe a whole other very significant part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was just like thinking – can they even – I mean, I'm sure, O'Neill like, they provided meals on site because from what I remembered, like, as when I was one of those, like, playwright observer that I, I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- I yeah, I think meals. maybe room and board. Room, yeah. room and board. But I'm like – but <laughs> that's right. a whole summer where I'm like, you could get a part-time job that pays way more, summer right. job, a seasonal job. Then – so I'm like – I, I it just was kind of like boggling like two dollars an hour average hour that's all that's insane well um, and when you think about the value they're providing to the institution I mm-hmm. think for so long I've and maybe many other people have been, have thought about it like in terms of the individual worker you know what they deserve right which is like a very important part to think about it but another side of the coin and maybe a more helpful way to think about it in terms of getting better pay is what is this individual worker providing to the institution Mm. and this festival this whole summer of programs could not exist without these apprentices like they they provide essential crucial work and mm-hmm. and it couldn't function without them. And so maybe instead of just talking about what the worker deserves or requires, you know, to live, we should also be talking about the value they are providing to the institution and and how the institution needs to compensate that value accordingly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, you said it so well. Um, another thing from this grievances was the um, for all summer staff to get a regular weekend day off, Saturday mm. or Sunday, can be staggered. Like the fact that they were, they're just <laughs> working. Like they're they don't not to have a time off to at least enjoy their. I don't know. I was like that. I think I wasn't sure, but I'm wondering whether they did get a day off, but it was just like Tuesday or something. You know, mm, and they, like a middle and of the they week. want it to be oh, a yeah. weekend day. Which yeah. makes sense to me. Right, right. Yeah. Um, another grievance was that no 12-hour days, 10 hours or less. Mm. Uh, this is in special consideration production apprentices who are expected to take on hours of manual labor. There should be respect, awareness, and generosity when considering all physical abilities. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, For real. Oh, that's a lot of time. And this one, oh, this one really got me. This one, this one. And this is all he asks is free laundry or a laundry stipend for all staff living on campus for everyone. The current cost of laundry on campus is $2 for wash and $2 to dry per load. I was like, that's even more wow. than LA. Like, yeah. I was like, what? That's so much. And then they're going, that's already um, from their $2 an hour. <laughs> Like, and you're really going to charge people to use your laundry, laundry machines? Like, come on. Yeah. That that really – I think that was the moment I was like, okay. Like, you're – here are um, basically volunteers at this point uh, coming to work at your festival, working in the summer program, and and the basic need of, like, doing laundry can't be provided – um, and it's just like they're like, what is that? What the phrasing called? Like nickeling, diming, whatever mm. them for mm-hmm. no reason. I'm like, this mm-hmm. is, oh, uh, that this is the one the, of the grievances that really just, I was like throwing my phone on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Threw my phone on the ground. It was really bad. Yeah. So before we get into what happened, I'm curious about when you first read this list of grievances. Mm-hmm. Did you? Were you like, oh yeah? The O'Neill is going to meet those demands, or were you like hmm. doubtful that that would happen? I, pardon me, was yeah, I was doubtful because I was too. Because yeah, same I, more. because I mean, they've created this system, right? Like they're used to a certain way. They every year they're probably working on a certain budget. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's going to take time to redo that budget to meet these demands, and then I don't know how. I don't know. Like I, that that's like the development, the fundraising part that I just don't know how they're going to do it to meet that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I felt the same way for all those reasons, and also I was thinking like they've been doing it this way for so many years. Mm-hmm. They have always found people who wanted to do this work. Like I'm sure they're they could find more. You know, that was my like cynical yeah. viewpoint. Mm-hmm. I was like, there's no way they're going to meet all these demands. But then what happened, Sarah? <laughs> uh, I don't know. If I'm, wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, did you not see the follow-up? Oh, the O'Neill. Oh, no. The, oh, yeah. They met all of these demands. They did? They, oh, yeah. You didn't know that? I know. Oh, I didn't gosh, see this any sounds updated. scripted. This sounds like one of those Radiolab episodes <laughs> or like... <laughs> what? <laughs> Set it up? 
payoff. But um, like, no, really, I I haven't. I didn't. Well, I mean, I threw down. I threw my phone down and was so furious. Yeah. No, they. So um, okay, I'm gonna have to find this. They met all of their demands, including the one where the apprentices were like, "We want to each have a piece of merchandise from the store." They, yeah, and they were like, "You're gonna get free laundry. You were in, increasing the wage." Oh my gosh, you can't see me, but my jaws are dropped. Like, right? I had the same I'm reaction because like, <laughs> when I read this letter, I was like, "It's never gonna happen." Because I guess I'm 34. Um, <laughs> we're we're very cynical, sarcastic millennials. <laughs> yeah, but okay, I'm like trying to find it right now. Okay, wait. Okay. But okay, the fact that they okay, 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 hold up, hold up. So they're I'm meeting these up. demands. I don't understand why they couldn't do this sooner because they didn't know that right. their their apprentices were struck like were in like dire exactly. They didn't know. That's the big question. Like, uh, why did it take a bunch of twenty-one-year-olds telling you your business model is effed up? Yeah. Um, and maybe taking too public. To realize, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I know. It's it's a beautiful thing. Um, okay, I found it. So on the Instagram account, Eugene O'Neill Theater Center summer staff, um, they shared this update. So they got an email on July 24th, and these are the updates. All apprentices have had their pay raised to $200 a week. They will be given back pay as well. Numerous summer staff have also received pay raises commensurate with their positions and experience. Apprentice hours have been reduced to 40 hours a week, and they've been given a second day off. Additional staff have been hired to help support the staff on campus for the final three weeks. All staff have received or will receive laundry stipends, one free piece of merchandise from the store and anti-racism training. Wow. Um, and the O'Neill has taken down the year-long apprenticeship listing for the upcoming season in order to, quote, reassess the apprenticeship program. And the board will form a committee to meet and speak with current apprentices. So, oh my gosh, I love that I'm like breaking this news to you in real time. <laughs> yeah, so it was just such an amazing thing because it just goes to show that um, people do not need to negotiate against themselves. They need to put mm. their demands out mm-hmm. and say what is needed. And, and then sometimes institutions will actually work to change the wow. way they do things. So, so how yeah. long ago, like, did this happen after the release of the Medium article of Okay, so they, these um, apprenticeship, these apprentices, I think they put their, they put out their call-in or they sent their email with their grievances on July 17th. Yeah. Mm. They sent, and then they published this letter. So that happened on July 17th. And their demands were met on July 24th one week later wow isn't that amazing they really and i was just like you know what i was thinking i was like 
what's wrong with our generation? We just like went along with things and thought this was uh, the way things had to be. And now it's these young yeah. upstarts, these like 22-year-olds or whatever, however old they mm-hmm. are, who are like, they're going to change the world. They're like, we're not going to take this anymore. I think I like to think that they saw <laughs> us struggling. Yeah. <laughs> like just we're, we're the like the – the gig economy. We're the, yeah. the millennials that doing gig work and really crappy freelance work. And these kids are looking at us and they're like, oh, when oh. I'm 30, I don't want to be where they are. <laughs> yeah. When I'm 30, I want to like be in that TV show office and have friends oh and have a stable job. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, oh. It, it's because, you know, since the recession – Right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a lot of jobs were lost. Uh, the economy tanked, and then we were. Then, then the, this whole gig economy comes up, right? Because you're like, now you're getting crafty. You're creating Etsy shops. You're like getting right. thinking of other ways to driving for Uber, driving for Uber, picking up people's groceries for Instacart or whatever. Yeah, exactly. and it turns out like actually that's a terrible way to live. <laughs> terrible, terrible. Um. Wow. And yeah, and I've noticed that um, a couple of the theaters recent weeks, like uh, like the Bay Area playwrights uh, being like really transparent about um, here's how much it cost to mm. like to function as a as an organization. And here's how much money we need. Here's how much money we make and like how much everyone is in our um, – all the employees, like everyone involved, how much they get paid out, and who, and the costs of labor, all that being really transparent yeah. and being like, so if you like what we do, support us because this, yeah, is, we can't do it alone. Like it, um, but I love, I love when theaters are becoming really transparent like that. Because I like, also want to talk know. about my one of my favorite theaters in the world. It's this little theater in Sarasota, Florida, called Urbanite Theater. Um, if you haven't heard of them, you should check them out. They have amazing values and they, um, try to only put shows in their seasons that are under five years old because they're constantly trying to do new work. But anyway, they rolled out these new working standards and I'm just going to read them. This is their new way of doing things. They are going to have a five day work week. They're not going to do any 10 out of 12s. They're going to have a longer rehearsal and tech process. Um, they're going to have equal pay among union and non-union artists. And they're going to have a $15 minimum wage for wow. interns and apprentices. Oh, Bam. This is a amazing. tiny theater. And if they can do it, anyone can do it because um, they are putting their values first and they are really leading the way. And I think – that's what's going to happen. I think it's going to be the small theaters that are more agile and more um, in tune with their communities that are going to show the big theaters oh, yeah. the way of the future. I guess this is the silver lining of this pandemic. <laughs> like mm. The things that exposed and showed us what needs to work again or like what – I hope I my my biggest takeaway like I my hope is that I just want public universities to stop promoting 
internships, paid in, unpaid internships mm. as a thing. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, just a, it's such a vicious cycle, especially if you're not a student and you're like, I need to find a job. Right. Uh, you're competing with college kids that are willing to work for free. Right. And that job market is like so it tipped forward in other ways. Like it doesn't make sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that also leads to another conversation, which is about just among artists um, doing work for free and, mm-hmm. and what that, what that does to your fellow artists. Like mm-hmm. I know that there's a real push to get other artists never to work for free because that does kind of devalue the work. Um, and and I, I just wonder where this conversation is going to go in, over the next few years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another side to this where I found myself... Uh, I don't know what came about. I forgot, I forgot like the, but I just remember thinking like, oh, I want to talk to this director, like a favor of some kind to like read something or something. Like I remember thinking like, mm. but then I stopped myself too. I was like, oh, but this is, I wonder if this is like adding to this. I mean. Because mm, you're like, should I pay this person? Person for the service mm. of doing this. Because I was like, I don't, I was like. I was like, oh, I shouldn't ask them then. Like, you know, like isn't I it so myself, tough though? Because tough. I mean, we don't necessarily want to become an art form that's so that's for service, yeah, it's transactional, thing. right? Yeah. Like, I think there should be models of collaboration and artistic creation that are outside of um, capital, the capitalist framework but on the other hand like everyone needs to eat and mm-hmm. I don't think we should be asking people to work for free yeah. so it does feel very fraught mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like it's so small but um it's a, it is such like an important step towards something about what you talked about is like valuing ourselves and what we do and Mm-hmm. Um, earlier this year, um, this theater in LA reached out to me to participate in a, a storytelling show, mm-hmm. Theater of Luna. And, you know, before pandemic, like it was just like a show, just any like open mics or any kind of show I was invited to do, I would just do it, right? Because that's just sort of the nature of these types of shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were like, we're going to pay you to tell your story. And I was like, what? like shocked me I was like wait you're gonna pay me to tell my story like it it was so profound for me I was like yeah and it also it really I mean like (laughs) it's gonna sound so bad but you know when I participate in these shows I just kind of I don't want to say half-assed but I was like (laughs) you know but I was just like pull an old story not really work it and kind of do it but then I was like knowing I was getting paid I was like why I was like working extra hard I was like okay I really want to tell this story really well Cause well, like, and it allows you to spend more time on it because you're getting paid for that time. time. And so you don't have to be thinking about the money you're losing by not, you know, working on something that will pay you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
time but is But I mean, money. I don't know. I do kind of feel like in my ideal world, like mm-hmm. we would all be getting a living stipend from the government and then we could just make art for free. That sounds very lovely. <laughs> <laughs> this is lovely. Um, uh, what do you say to the people who's like, we don't need more artists. Oh we need God. more doctors and scientists. <laughs> we need it all. How many people spent the last year sitting on their couch watching Netflix and like survived the pandemic because of art? I'm raising my hand. <laughs> like, I'm raising- um, pretty sure doctors and scientists were not making those Netflix shows. They were yeah. doing other also very valuable things. I'm not trying to like hate on any careers here, but mm-hmm. um, the art got us through just as much as the vaccines. Yeah. Oh, all right. So this is a very meaty conversation, a very meaty topic. Um, But any last thoughts, final words on this? Um, I mean, I just, I think what I'm realizing or what I'm hoping, Mm -hmm. and I'm seeing signs of this, which feels very promising, is that as we hopefully are emerging out of this pandemic, although every day it seems like maybe it's, you know, we're just like right back where we were a year ago with Delta variant, but hopefully as we emerge from this pandemic, people are going to be less willing to settle for the old ways of doing Mm -hmm. things. And um, I just am so excited by the fire and determination and optimism of these young kids who are just out of college and are not, you know, they're, they have a vision for how the world could be. Um, and they're not going to settle for all the things we settled for. <laughs> Why did really, we settle? Why did we settle? Because we were living in a scarcity mentality because of the, um, because of the economic collapse, you know? Mm. And I think what the pandemic has showed us is like, actually we could die any minute so why Mm -hmm. are we living this way yeah and also that there are the two percent of people (laughs) that's my impression of bernie but it's the top two one percent um also there's like just a small group of people that have been profiting off of us um and hoarding all the hoarding all the money and then the wealth yep yeah did you yeah. like my Bernie impression? It was Stop. great. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I've been working on it all pandemic long. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think my major my major take takeaway um is I need to stop griping on Gen Z. Because <laughs> mm. like, oh. Gen Z is gonna lead us into the future. Yeah, yeah. They um, really are. There's some things like, I think they could work on. Okay, like what? Do it. Like I'm what? not gonna say it on the show. <laughs> um, mm, I agree. There's room for improvement. Yeah, maybe starting with you know, <laughs> grammar punctuation is your friend. Don't be afraid to use it on your <laughs> on your tweets. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I mean, I do the same exact thing. I also think they're just like extremely sensitive. But maybe that that sensitivity is what's going to get empowering. us all higher wages. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, I mean, yes, 
I, I'll maybe I'll we ride should that all be kinder and more gentle. Maybe maybe we have been too harsh. You know, like this is such a <laughs> okay. Nick and I have this conversation all the time where we're like, I'm trying to imagine like, I you know each generation sort of a reaction mm. to the previous generation. What do you think the generation will be like after Gen Z? But don't you think people react to their parents, though? I mean, I feel like... I mean, yeah, yeah, parents. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, the previous generation. Okay, so the generation after Gen Z will be our generation's children, right? Right. So they're going to be reacting against us. Mm. Mm. Well, I mean, our generation is amazing, so I think that (laughs) just means they're going to be awful. Um, No. Is that too black and white? No. I think no, no, our no. generation is like, well, I don't know. What are the defining features of millennials? Lazy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we get that. Um, no, but I, I, we're really cautious. All the think think pieces are about how we're like slow to get married and like slow to buy a house. We're just like very risk averse. So mm. I think maybe. The generation after Gen Z will be extremely reckless and impulsive. Whoa, you think so? Wow. <laughs> I just think, yeah, I just thinking about, um, I don't know if I'm cautious, but I'm very, I have become very pessimistic and mm. cynical. Um, so I kind of wondered if they'll have more optimism. I hope so, because they are going to be do. the generation that's growing up like as. I mean, there's really no way out of it. Our societal framework is going to collapse. And one way or another, we're going to build something new. And either we're all going to go extinct or we're going to find a way to survive. So (laughs) the prospects are pretty dire. Mm -hmm. And if they are optimistic in the face of that, that's going to be pretty miraculous. Mm. And I, I hope that's what will happen. I know for millennials, I get, um, or I've been told a lot, or I've been reading articles being like, millennials being okay with renting for the rest of their life. Mm. You know, it's like, you know what? There's no point in buying a house. Just rent. Well, because it might get flooded or burned down. So it does kind of feel like owning property is taking on all of the risk. Right. So that's another thing. I think Gen Z's kids mm. i think the, i i think they'll be like not as sensitive and really mean <laughs> <laughs> i think i kind of imagine them being like 90s grunge like yeah totally being very like they're gonna be the next like gen xers that's kind of how I imagine, but we'll mm-hmm. see. I'm so we'll excited. See. I'm excited to grow old and find out. Oh my gosh, I've never heard that come out of your mouth before. <laughs> it was very painful to say as I said it. <laughs> um, okay, well, this is a fun conversation. We'll always return to it, I'm sure, as the world changes around us. Oh um, we shall move on to glistens. Sam, you can go first. Okay, I'm going to go first because I was just checking out Taylor Mac's website the other day. Taylor Mac is one of my heroes. Um, and on Judy's website, side note, Taylor Mac uses the pronoun Judy. 
Um, I was <laughs> on like, who is website? Um, there is a bio that is the most amazing bio I've ever read. It's phenomenal. It's like kind of a manifesto slash essay slash like autobiographical um, rant. Um, it like, but in the most lovely way. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, it's full of questions and wondering um, and <laughs> like kind of semi political statements about the theater in general. Um, anyway, it's lovely. And I can't really do it justice by reading any quotes. So I just want you to go to Taylor Mac's website and read Judy's bio. That's my glisten. <laughs> you sent that to me like 10 o'clock. And I, I, I forgot that you were in Mountain Town. You were one hour ahead of me. I thought you were like, <laughs> why is she looking at bios at one in the morning? Go to sleep. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm on mountain time now. Yeah, so just you're just going to get so many more texts at like reasonable hours. <laughs> Great. I love it. I love it. Um, I mean, it, I was getting them at reasonable hours because you were still three hours ahead. <laughs> you were three hours ahead. But, yeah, I mean, but I'm pretty sure I would sometimes text you when it was like 6 a.m. your time. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, but my phone's on silent. So. Um, okay, my glisten is... Lester Holt's Instagram. <laughs> oh my gosh. So before pandemic, I never watched the news because I was always out and about, either working, doing shows, rehearsals, God knows what. I was doing whatever. So when you're inside and news is 24-7 and I found uh, NBC Nightly News and I mean, it's still – catastrophizing everything but i freaking love lester holt like (laughs) like he's like it's just so he just has this calming spirit and like very um like just in control of a situation like he just has a great presence on on screen right but his instagram is like Oh, the whole other side of him that is just <laughs> so beautiful. Um, can you share some details about what you like about his Instagram? Like, okay, so he has photos, right? Like, look at that. Okay, here's an example. Like, he'll there's a photo of him holding like three cupcakes. There's a <laughs> photo of him, um, like playing music. There's a photo of him doing just like normal human things right Mm -hmm. but his captions are is like him as an anchor (laughs) like it's like today i carried a cupcakes to my family enjoying the time that we have together you know just very like i read his captions in this his voice that and the way it's written it's like the way he um Bring us, brings us the news. So it's Terry, it kind of sounds hilarious. like you have a crush on Lester Holt. I do not. I do not. <laughs> I really don't have a crush on him. I just uh, this is probably Are like you sure. Yeah, I'm sure. It's just like, you know, I have daddy issues. <laughs> he like fills that void in me that you know helps that the that emptiness. Um Amazing. Uh, fun, interesting fact, if you didn't know. Oh, I told you, Sam, but um, before 2018, Lester Holt was a Republican, diehard Republican. That is just, yeah. And now, and like something happened in 2018 that changed his mind. And I'm like, it became an independent. I'm pretty sure all those things were already happening before 2018. <laughs> I know. What took you so long? Yeah. So now he's an independent. Um, 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure he voted for Trump in 2016. No. I'm pretty sure. No way. Really? I I think he did. I think he did. Come (sighs) on. What? I mean. I'm sorry. I cannot appreciate the Instagram account of anybody who voted for Trump in 2016. (laughs) I mean, okay, this is why. I I don't know. Like, right. But, like, (laughs) he's just so. It's like. He's his character and his image is just like so wholesome. <laughs> so it's just, it's my therapy. Um, but yeah, that is my glisten. Uh, <laughs> I hope you all enjoyed my glisten more than Sam's. I'm just kidding. Um, all of you need to go look at Lester Holt's Instagram and then look at Taylor Mac's bio and please get back to us about which one is better. <laughs> okay. We'll be waiting. <laughs> all right. Thanks. See y'all next time. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Beckett's Babies. If you enjoyed what you heard or learned a thing or two about playwriting, be sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends. And if you'd like to reach out and share with us your thoughts on playwriting and theater or maybe be a guest on the show, uh, be sure to visit our website at www.beckettsbabies.com. That's www.beckettsbabies.com, and you can contact us there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.